Are you a teacher who is feeling stressed out and overwhelmed? Do you worry that you're feeling symptoms of burnout? Or are you sure you've already gotten there? Have you started to dream of doing something different? A new job? Perhaps pursuing an entirely different career, but you don't know what else you're qualified to do? You don't know how to start a job search, and you just feel stuck. If that sounds like you, I promise you are not my name is Vanessa Jackson, and I am a career transition and job search coach, and I specialize in helping burnt-out teachers just like you deal with the overwhelmingly stressful nature of your day-to-day -day job and to consider what other careers might be out there waiting for you. You might ask, what tools do I need to find a new career? Are my skills valuable outside the classroom? How and where do I even get started? These are all questions you deserve answers to, and I can help you find them. I'm Vanessa Jackson. Come and join me for Teachers in Transition. Welcome back to another episode of Teachers in Transition. I am your host, Vanessa Jackson, a compassionate career transition and job search coach who specializes in working with burnt out teachers who are ready for a career change, but are not sure where to begin. Today on the podcast, we are going to explore how stress affects our brains, looking ahead and planning your job search, and the importance of a five-minute action in your life. I want to jump in and talk about stress today. It's that time of year. Actually, it's been that time of year for the last four years, possibly more. The holidays take the normal, ridiculously heavy teacher workload and multiply it exponentially. If you have kids or other family obligation, that just adds more stress to the pile. And if you've lost loved ones or perhaps are far from home, you might not feel festive, but yet you're expected to put on a cheery face and perform. It's a lot. By the time you hear this, we will be past Thanksgiving here in the United States, and teachers in the classroom now have to figure out how to get students to learn, all while providing festive experiences that include everyone, and when there is increasing pressure to donate in a tight economy. On top of that, it is necessary to manage all the feelings and problems your students are coming in the room with, which are often worse this time of year. Maslow and all that, am I right? Our brains need a break. From stress. A paper by Belinda Agyapong, Gloria Obuobi Dongkor, Lisa Burbank, and Yifeng Wei, apologies if I mispronounce the names, in 2022 did a scoping review on stress, burnout, anxiety, and depression among teachers. I'll link the article in the show notes, and I'm going to read some of it while interjecting some thoughts. So they state that worldwide stress and burnout continue to be a problem among teachers, leading to anxiety and depression. Burnout may adversely affect teachers' health and is a risk factor for poor physical and mental well-being. Determining the prevalence and correlates of stress, burnout, anxiety, and depression among teachers is essential for addressing this public health concern. Y'all. First, I want to say that this starts out saying things that could be brought to us by the Department of Duh, but it classifies this issue as a public health concern a public health concern. And they continue, when only clinically meaningful, meaning that they rated it moderate to severe, 
psychological conditions among teachers were considered, the prevalence of burnout ranged from 25.12% to 74%. Stress ranged from 8.3% to 87.1%. Anxiety ranged from 38% to 41.2%. And depression ranged from 4% to 77%. The correlates of stress, burnout, anxiety, and depression identified in this review include sociodemographic factors such as sex, age, marital status, and school and work-related factors, including years of teaching, class size, job satisfaction, and the subject taught. Okay, so there are some huge swings addressed in these percentages in the breakdown of factors, but the numbers are alarming, and they're from around the globe. I know I've been there. I've had anxiety to the point where I was afraid to get out of my car and start my day. I've been so depressed that I slept through almost an entire weekend because I just couldn't deal with the thoughts of what I needed to get done. I hardly think that I'm unique or unusual. And how many of these apply to you? Personally, I suspect that the numbers lean to the high side here in the United States. Their conclusion is that teaching is challenging, and yet one of the most rewarding professions, but several factors correlate with stress, burnout, anxiety, and depression among teachers. Highlighting these factors is the first step in recognizing the magnitude of the issues encountered by those in the teaching profession. Implementation of a school-based awareness and intervention program is crucial to resolve the early signs of teacher stress and burnout to avoid future deterioration. I feel like any teacher in any classroom could have saved them the effort of writing this paper. Teachers are burnt out, anxious, depressed, and yes, stressed. I'm going to argue that we do not need awareness in intervention programs. We already know. Interestingly, those awareness programs just seem to put that back to teachers as one more thing on the plate to feel guilty about if you cannot get it done. In our faculty meetings, we hear about self-care. Honestly, what we need is for others to care and take things off our plate. But until that rainbow unicorn flies in our window, we have to figure out how to manage with what we've got. Okay, even the students agree, teaching is stressful. So what's new? What's new is realizing the damaging consequences of stress in the long term. A different article, Neurobiological and Systemic Effects of Chronic Stress by Bruce S. McCurin, linked in the show notes, talks about the effects of stress on the brain. And to paraphrase a bit, the brain is the most important organ relating to stress because it is the brain that decides what is threatening and how we're going to respond to it. The brain promotes how we adapt, also called allostasis, but it contributes to something called pathopsychology when it is overused and not regulated. You may have heard this referred to as allostatic load or, as we like to refer to it, overload. Adults have an amazing ability to respond to stress and work around it, but too much stress leads to an overload of the circuitry that affects how thinking, decision-making, anxiety, and more work. Ever suffered from decision fatigue? This is why. It can drive these aspects to lower or higher extremes, and we all react differently. Think of it like the brain skipping leg day every day. And if you do that long enough, the imbalance affects other parts of your body. It can lead to temporary hormone changes in your immune system, changes in your metabolic rates. These things are great short-term for dealing with events perceived by the brain to be a threat. 
But teacher stress never stops. And these things just lead to their own stress, which doesn't make things any better. And a high allostatic load, a high overload, can lead to serious health issues that might require intervention for physical or mental health. The good news is that the plasticity of the brain is such that we have hope for therapies that will speak to both the brain and the body. So we need to look for things that address our bodies and our minds, things that we can do for our bodies. Exercise, high impact, low impact, choose your own adventure here. Personally, I enjoyed strength training, walking my dogs, boxing. Note, I boxed with a heavy bag, hitting people is frowned upon. Walking is a great exercise. Include a pet or a friend and those benefits double. Pool aerobics or swimming is great if joints are an issue and if you can get to a pool. Stretching is very important. There are places out there that do assisted stretching, but there are a million YouTube videos that have some nice stretch routines that can help you out. Massage is great for the body. It promotes relaxation and loosens tight muscles. And there's this delightful bonus that you can turn the world off for a while while being massaged in order to enjoy it. And the list of things for the brain is just as varied as we can possibly imagine. Meditation is good. I had difficulties with meditation. It does not work for everyone because my brain just would not turn off. School thoughts often intruded. I found that doing things that took up my entire brain, like sewing quilts or playing the piano, were really good. And anything else left room for stress issues to creep back in. I also like logic puzzles. And taking care of mental health can also mean talking to someone like a trusted friend or a therapist. The biggest barrier for me in talking to someone was the fact that I simply didn't have time. How do you find time to go visit someone for health when your work hours are actually longer than standard business practice hours? Nowadays, there are several access points for mental health out there that include more flexible hours, telehealth appointments, and some of them even have space for texting your therapist when you need them. There is no shame in talking to someone. I started hearing... We're going to have to do more with less in 2002. I say, we're way past that, and now they just need to accept that they should be getting less with less. And one of the hardest things for a teacher to truly understand is that that is okay. It is okay to have less. One of the most beloved Christmas carols is Silent Night. It's a song that was originally written to lessen the disappointment of a church for their congregation because their organ broke. And I ask, would this song have been so novel at the time and subsequently so beloved and passed down through the years if the organ hadn't been broken? The breaking of the organ forced a simplicity in that church that we do not typically allow for ourselves because we always worry about facing the judgment of others. Simple is okay. And when you allow space in your brain and your day, it leaves you time to think about something else. Like maybe what you want to do outside of education and how to make that dream start to move. So looking ahead, have a plan because leaving takes time. 
in our segment here, this is a great time of year to plan, to dream, and to hope. And if you're listening to this podcast, you are looking to handle stress, find a career outside of teaching, or possibly both. When is the best time to start looking for that next job? The answer, really, it's now. Actually, it was more like a month or so ago, but it's like that old saying, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, and the next best time is now. It's the same with job hunting. You need to start earlier than you think because the reality is that it's going to take time. It takes time to figure out the direction you want to go in. It takes time to pull together your skills and translate them to make sense outside the world of education. And the job hunting process itself takes time. When you get the job, the space between being offered the job and being paid also takes time. It adds up. There's a good article on LinkedIn about this, and I will put a link to it in the show notes. Most teachers are working desperately to try to time it so that they are looking more towards the end of the school year so they don't have to leave in the middle of the year. But it is a possibility that you have to think about. What if you are offered that dream job in March? Would you leave? Despite the fact that going home for spring break and not coming back is a little dream that many teachers have, leaving mid-year is a personal decision that no one else can make for you. But it does happen all the time. And it's not just teachers. Once upon a time, I got the news that my principal was going to be leaving and going to work at a pretty nifty sounding job with an oil company. And she was gone by Christmas. It happens. An interim principal was in place almost immediately. Life goes on. As the Hamilton musical says, the sun comes up and the world still spins. True. Many states have assorted sanctions or teachers who abandon their contract mid-year. Some states levy a fine. Others put a hold on your teaching certificate so that you can't go to another school. I can't tell you which is correct. Uh, It does vary by state, and I encourage you to make sure that you know those rules in your state. Several years ago, very few states made good on those threats, which makes sense. I mean, why would anybody want to force someone to stay when they want to leave? And it is absolutely a sign of the ever-growing teacher shortage that more and more districts are starting to follow through with those fines and sanctions. I recently heard of a teacher who resigned and was told that their district wasn't going to accept it. Now, I have no idea how that district thought that was going to work. I mean, maybe chain her to her desk. Um, I'm not sure how that was going to work. The interview process itself can take three to six weeks. The paperwork after that can take another couple of weeks. And so now we're potentially up to two months already. And that doesn't include waiting for people to respond to your application if they ever do. So many people report that they will put out hundreds of applications and maybe hear from one or two people. One of the things we can help with here at Teachers in Transition is helping you craft your resume in a way that it increases the odds that it gets in front of a human being and past the AI gatekeepers. Recent labor statistics are saying that it takes about five months to get a job. It can take longer if you are looking for higher level positions. Face it, you're not looking for entry level minimum wage jobs. You are a degreed professional. It would be very rare to get the first job that you apply for. It's not impossible, but it's not likely. So you will spend a lot of time looking for jobs on the standard site. Each job that you apply for 
will require time if you want your application to be taken seriously. It is now necessary to tailor your resume to each job. Thanks to AI, the days are gone when you just have the one resume and use it for everything. That sort of thing will make sure that a human never sees your resume. You may need to spend some time upskilling. And I will talk about this more at length in another show, but spoiler alert, an entirely different degree is probably not necessary. So feel free to start applying for jobs well before the year is over. You'll make mistakes along the way and you'll learn from them. And frankly, it's easier to take that in stride when there's a paycheck still coming in. Job hunting pro tip. LinkedIn, Indeed, and other sites like that are a great place to start. But if you see a job that you are interested in, always go directly to the company's website and look for it there to apply directly with the company. Unfortunately, many job listings on those sites are no longer actual job listings. You have companies who are testing the waters to see how many applicants they can get. They are increasing their pool of applicants, and occasionally they're using that to keep their current employees in line. So in our next segment, I want to start by encouraging you with the power of that first small step. I present to you the Sorites Paradox. You may have heard it elsewhere as the paradox of the growing heap. One grain of rice could hardly be confused as a heap of rice. Neither could two grains of rice, and so forth as you add one grain at a time. Eventually, there are enough grains of rice to call it a pile, and then further beyond that, it's a heap. There are many things that can be drawn from that story, but what I'm highlighting here is that the little things done consistently add up. Invest in you. For the next week or two, we are going to institute a five-minute action. We are practicing the art of making time for our dreams and our goals. Five minutes is not a lot of time, although it can feel like a lot when one is a parent or a teacher or more, but most of us can find five minutes in our day. Maybe it's five minutes in the morning where you take time to stretch and do good things for your body, or you take that five minutes to pack a healthy lunch. Maybe it's five minutes in the evening before you close your eyes where you practice a few minutes of meditation and mindfulness. Maybe it's five minutes in the car before you get out, where you remind yourself that you are important, you are amazing, and you deserve to be happy in your work. Maybe you use those five minutes in the car to read a few pages of a book designed to help you find your new passion. Find a five-minute action that you can do to help move you towards your goals and do something every day for the next two weeks. Those five minutes add up to hours over time and they help move you forward in your goals. Honestly, the hardest part of any task is getting started. And so we use this time over the next couple of weeks to practice getting started. I would love to hear what five minute actions that you are going to take for you. So please feel free to send me an email of what those five minute actions are for you. I'll compile a list and I will share it in a future episode of the podcast. That's the podcast for today. If you liked this podcast, tell a friend and don't forget to rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Tune in weekly to Teachers in Transition, where we discuss job search strategies as well as stress management techniques. And I want to hear from you. 
please reach out and leave me a message at teachersintransitioncoaching at gmail.com or leave a voicemail or text at 512-640-9099. I'll see you next week and remember, you are amazing.